The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, we got ones in the back. Um, and uh, the, the verses will also be on the slides behind me. So don't, uh, don't worry about that if you don't have a Bible. Now I need to find where my... There's my, here's my notes. Okay. Sorry, guys. I told you. I feel like I'm trying to keep it together here. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. We are going through the book of 1 Corinthians under this title that um, is good news for bad Christians. So if you're exploring what it means to be a Christian, don't worry. You're in good company because uh, we don't even have it all together. We're trying to figure it out. And uh, God has given us the book of 1 Corinthians primarily to help us with that. And so I'm going to read our verses for us, and then we will look at this together. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same spirit and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Christ crucified for you? I'm sorry. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's pray. God, as we look at these words, I pray that you would help us um, to be united as a family in Jesus to not be divided or quarreling among ourselves. God, I pray that we would grow in being a united church in submission to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I don't know um, if you guys remember, but a few weeks ago, did a sermon on social media. I'm just going to pick up on that dynamic of how social media advertising works. One of the things, I don't know if you guys are on Instagram or any of that stuff, but one of the things that Well, I just say that because there could be some people who don't know what Instagram is. But um, one of the things that you'll notice sometimes that happens is um, celebrities will put, like, they'll, like, do product placement. You know, like, product placement is a way of advancing a certain style of uh, product or whatever. And typically, it's the sort of thing where, like, I might not necessarily think about wearing these type of pants or whatever. But once I see, um, you know, Kanye West, who's my spirit animal, um, wearing those sort of pants or whatever... I'm like, hey, like that looks pretty good, you know. <laughs> like, it's the way product placement works. It's the way we we the product itself might not be that interesting, but once you put it in the context of somebody that you like, then you're like, oh, I want to be like that guy, right? And that's not just like with social media. It's like just like universal, right? I know if you guys remember uh, the movie Sandlot, like I, that was a movie when I was growing up. I um, I wore Converse, obviously, um, because that's what all kids wear when they're little. 
But then you have, what's his name, put on PF flyers at the end of the movie and outrun the massive dog, right? Suddenly I wanted to wear those shoes because I wanted to be like him, right? You, you, you pick up on things in those sort of contexts because you want to be like the person or you want to kind of get some of the cred that they have um, and what they're wearing, doing, saying, or thinking, right? That's kind of the type of dynamic that Paul's addressing here, right? He is addressing people that have started... Um, drafting on other people's reputation and other people's uh, influence as a way of kind of building up their own story, their own influence, their own credibility. Um, They're effectively starting to do some product placement with Paul's name and all these apostles and saying, look how great we are, right? That is the dynamic of what's going on in this chapter or in these verses. And it's, um, it's not that unfamiliar for us, right? We do this with the products on the, our Instagram feed or whatever. And it's a way that can undermine the nature of what it means to be a community-based and centered on Jesus, right? Because often what happens is that begins to build factions, uh, divisiveness, and we turn on each other. And Paul, is his heart, his burden, this whole paragraph, is that we would be people who are submitted to the goodness and glory of Jesus and him alone and he's going to start poking at things that kind of begin to come in and uh, in our own hearts and undermine our ability to be a, a gospel community. Right? He, he wants us to be a gospel community. And often what happens is we bring in kind of like these subtle influences from our own hearts and our own culture that we think are good for the culture of the church, but are actually going to undermine it. So that's what we're looking at this morning. The main point of our passage this morning is our gospel community only thrives in submission to Christ. Right? That's That's the basic idea. Our gospel community only thrives in submission to Christ. And so we're just going to look at this in two parts, right? There's going to be two parts of this. A gospel community challenges, did I get this Our gospel community challenges our individualistic biases. This is where um, my fogginess from this last week with taking over for the boys, I've realized this should actually be called our gospel community challenges our me monsters. Um, I just thought, that challenge, that captures that. I was like, individualistic biases. That is like such a long word. I can't even say it straight. So we're just going to change that in our minds. A gospel community challenges <laughs> our me monsters. <laughs> so chapter, uh, verses 10 through 13. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So we're just going to pause there and ask, okay, what is Paul getting after in that first sentence when he says, I want you to be united, right? If anybody here uh, grew up listening to any punk music or Rage Against the Machine, you're going to be start, you're going to start, your, your radar is going to go off. You're like, you're trying to tell me to be like everybody else, <laughs> and I'm not going to do it, right? <laughs> but this sort of like, you can't tell me what to do. That's not what Paul's going after here. He's not saying uniformity, right? He's not saying you must all be exactly the same. What he's saying is he wants you to be united in your priorities. He wants you to be united in what governs you, not uniform, and everybody looks exactly the same, right? So if you got your punk shirts going on, just chill out. I want you to be no, no divisions among you, but you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, right? And this isn't that we have to all have the same political beliefs or we have to all have the same preferences, but the governing authority is who, right? Jesus, right? That's, he wants us to be united 
under one person, Jesus Christ. And so he wants us to be agree that Jesus runs the show and not me. That's the main point, that sentence. Jesus runs the show, not me. Um, and he's going to go on to illustrate that here in verses 11 and 12, right? For it has been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So what's going on here? But we could read that and think, oh, these are political parties that are kind of basically developing in the church. I don't think that's what's actually going on because it's not we follow Paul or we follow Cephas. It's I follow, right? The point is that he's, he's drawing out. You see that, that big word, I, that happens four times here in chapter 12 or verse 12? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. The point isn't so much that they're developing all these different factions within the church, but that everybody is all about themselves and trying to build themselves up. I, look look at me. I'm the one who's got the answers here. And the way that works is kind of like um, they would be drafting. Do you know what that term drafting means? It's a racing term where you you have a big car in front of you and then you're drafting on the the airspace that they make so you go faster together. Drafting off of their reputation. So Paul... Well, Paul would have been a great teacher, right? Well, if I say, well, you know what? Yeah, you know, I was talking to Paul the other day, and him and I were talking about baptism, and he was saying about how dumb your idea is. That's a way that you'd be like, you're building up yourself. I follow Paul, right? Do you guys know um, comedian Brian Regan? <laughs> He's got this, if you don't know this, if you haven't seen this clip where he talks about like the me monster, just go YouTube it later. We won't do it now. But I'll give you the sense of it because it really captures what's going on here, right? He imagines a scenario where you're at like a dinner party or hanging out with your friends. And, you've always, and I'm sure we've all had this where like you're hanging out and people start sharing stories and you kind of start like one-upping each other with the stories. It's like, you know, I watched, for example, I watched my four kids alone this week. Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> I, I watched eight kids you know, that type of thing. He goes on, if you're getting that where you're like starting to like one up each other with the stories, the, the, the bit ends with him imagining um, the 12 men who walked on the moon being in that context. You know, like no matter who is there like talking about his 10 companies that he owns, sailing on his yacht and, you know, hanging out with the president, he's, the guy goes can say like, I walked on the moon, <laughs> you know, like just trumps all those stories. But the, the, the picture of what he's picking up in that, that bit is all about what Paul's talking about here. It's this me monster. Like, I, I have to get the final word, and I have to get the better story, and I have to get the better idea, and I have to be the dominant one in this context, right? right? So you can imagine, right, here people sitting around their Bible study, and like, oh, you know, I was talking to a policy the other day, and blah, 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 and the next person over them are just, just waiting. I want to get it, get it. But I talked to Paul. I talked to Paul, and Paul and I agree on this. And and the next guy kind of sitting there and waiting, like, oh, but 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 you know, I talked to Apollos. Remember me and Apollos? We're friends. We're we're buddies. You can imagine this sort of context. You have that where somebody's talking, and you're just like, I I I gotta get I gotta get the word in here, right? I gotta talk. That's the me monster here. <laughs> That's the me monster because at the end of the day, the point is that they are trying to exalt themselves and make it all about them, right? Apollos would have been a great style of a lot of wisdom. Peter probably has leadership and authority. Paul teaching. And then uh, I'm not sure with, with I follow Christ. I can only imagine that that was probably one of these things where like, I'm not sure if you've ever been in con- like a, a, a conversation with somebody where they're like, well, I just believe what Jesus believes. You know, like they just kind of throw out like the spiritual trump card. Got a little bit of some arrogance to it. Like, why don't you just read your Bible, you dummy? Like, of course I believe with Jesus. You know, like that kind of like arrogance. 
Paul is going after this because ultimately that type of relationship building within the church is all about me, right? It's not about Jesus or his people. It's making the church about me. It's this me monster thing. You guys know I like to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Of course, he has something to say on this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, goes after this idea with what he calls the wish dream. Let me read this for you. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. God, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. So what he's saying there is, you're just like what Paul is addressing. Often we can come into the church and say, this is how the church should be like. It should be like this. And then holds that up and demands that God and everybody in the church submits to this idea of what the church must be like. Rather than what God does, brings a bunch of broken, disheveled, weird people together under Jesus, and he does his work on his own terms. Right. That, that, is that, that idea is making sense where we can come in and say, well, a real church is going to be doing these type of things. Well, those type of things might be good. But are you, are you holding them in a way that's going to be a, a weapon against God's people, badgering them because they aren't performing correctly or doing things in your own terms, your own ways? Right? That's the way when we start. Because that, when we read this, like, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Verse 12, we're kind of like, well, none of those guys are alive today. <laughs> but what that, the, the me monster under there is, my ideas of how we should run the show here, my preferences of how the church should be run, my preferences of what the, the music should sound like or, or how the slides should be done or how leadership should be done or what our shirt should look like or our logo, my preferences, my ideas, how, what we should be doing in the neighborhood. Those are all the visionary ideals that Bonhoeffer's going after in that quote. We can hold them as idolatrous, because ultimately the people that are in these verses were dreamers, right? They wanted good things. It's not a bad thing to dream. We all dream, right? Who do we want to get married to? What do we want our families to look like? What do we want our jobs to be like? How we want our community to be? What do we want our Super Bowl parties to be like? You know, we dream about anything. It's when we turn that dream into an idol or a weapon that we demand our spouses, our friends, our church to be like, right? When we start using those dreams as ways to condemn and judge our family in Jesus, that's what Paul is going after. That's the me monster. And one of the things I just want to point out here that's so kind of God is that verse 11, we kind of skipped over this, has been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Right? You know what's interesting is that the Corinthian church they weren't writing to Paul and saying, hey, Paul, like we got this issue of all these me monsters in the church. Help us out, bro. <laughs> Actually, what happened is people came and visited, and they came and visited, the, probably came into church, worshiped for a few weeks with them, uh, went to missional communities, and then went and visited Paul. And I'm like, Paul, you know, there, 
the church is doing really well, but there's some, there's some weird dynamics. Like, there are people who are, like, trying to, like, one-up each other with all these spiritual stuff. That's actually, that's a part of why, like, church accountability and partnership is really important. That's why we're a part of Sovereign Grace Churches in Acts 29, because they help us just to evaluate, be outside objective, hey, how's the health of the church? Are there things you're missing? Are there things that... They're not how, they're, the me monsters are starting to take over, right? The preferences are starting to get out, out of whack. Right? That's, that's why it's helpful to be a part of a family of churches. It doesn't have to be those two. It could be other ones. It, that's, that's what Paul is pointing at here is saying, look, you're, you're being uh, so focused on you and yourself and your own uh, opinions that you're forgetting the nature and the purpose of the church. Right? The core, right, verse 13, is Christ divided. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Right? The core of the Christian community. Verse 13 picks up on that. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? No, no. Your, your pastor was not crucified for you. Your, your church members were not, you weren't baptized in the name of your church members. Right? You were baptized in the name of Jesus, who was crucified for you. He's the core. He's the center of the Christian community, right? We, we, are, we, we must build around, that's why we have this whole, whole thing, loving Jesus together, building around who he is. Because when Jesus is the center point of our church, me and I cannot be the primary bolded, underlined, underlined words in how I think about the life of the church. Jesus is the center. We join together because Jesus is our Savior, and he's the goal, the, he is the core of gospel community, right? We, just to kind of play this out, I don't ever want somebody to join the church because they think that my preaching is so great. I want to be a good preacher and pastor, but here's the thing. If somebody joins a church because they think Jacob's the best preacher I've ever heard, which, by the way, is not true, but if they do that, that preference will become an idol, and the moment that I have a slump in my preaching, the moment that I'm not a great preacher for one Sunday or maybe six Sundays in a row or six months in a row, that idol is going to fester in them, and they're going to say, I can't stay here anymore because Jacob's lost it. Well, I don't want them to stay if they were here for my preaching because they aren't here for Jesus, right? You can come for good things, like everybody wants to have a good preacher in the church or whatever, but that's not the reason that we stay we stay because Jesus is at the center, right? And we could do that for music, right? I love the music of this church. It's great. It's fantastic. What if the band has a bad month? Well, now I'm starting to get critical and judge the church, right? Or I'm here because of, you know, the style of the church or whatever. Like, it's, those are bad. Those are when the me monsters start taking over. But Jesus must be the center point and the center of why we're here. Or else the, these me monsters are going to take over and undermine the ability of our church to thrive. So here's a few questions to maybe help us think through uh, uh, where are these me monsters in our life? Am I more aware of how some person or something in the church isn't going well, or that God has brought together these people under Jesus with me? Do I dominate conversations with my needs, priorities, opinions, and preferences? Am I quick to cut people off with my better idea? Do I dwell on, the, on what needs to be fixed more than the good things God is doing in our church? Do I seem to be always in arguments about specific non-essential issues in the church, right? 
those are just a beginning of questions that could help us begin to ask, where are the me monsters in our life? But the swing that Paul wants us to be under is what we talked about actually in the verses from last week. Are you aware of the grace of God and what he's doing? Because when you're, when you're focused on that, that you can't begin to feed the exaltation of self. Is that making sense? All right, we're gonna, gonna pick up here. So there's kind of these two dynamics we're looking at, right? Gospel community um, will confront our me monsters, challenges our me monsters, right? And then we're gonna go here, the gospel community submits to one powerful allegiance. Right? This is verses 14 to 17. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Right. Why is Paul going at baptism? Why is Paul bringing out this category of baptism? It's, well, it, part of it is the nature of baptism is a submission to authority. Right? We're acknowledging who we are being baptized. We're, we're being baptized in whose name, and what does that mean about us? Right? That's, uh, being baptized is all about Jesus' authority and not mine. But I think it's interesting that he kind of goes at this whole kind of celebrity culture thing that they've got going on there. Um, when I, I, got, I became a Christian in high school, and uh, I was raised in a tradition where uh, you baptize babies, and so I wanted to get baptized as a believer. And I remember being very interested in like, kind of playing out in a very high school way. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Israel and get baptized in the Jordan, because then I, not only would I be baptized, but then I'd be really baptized, right? Like, that's where Jesus was baptized, right? Like, it's like extra baptized, right? It's like baptized in neon colors, right? That's kind of like what Paul's going after here, right? You could imagine, like, if, if Paul were a pastor at our church, would you want the Apostle Paul, who saw the risen Lord, or would you like Jacob, who barely understands football, uh, to baptize you? <laughs> the clear answer is, obviously, you'd want the Apostle Paul to baptize you, right? Uh, so he is going after their kind of like celebrity culture by saying like, look, I barely baptized anybody in this church. And it's not, a, what he goes on to say is like, right, he says there in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He's not undermining the value of baptism. He's just placing the priority on the gospel, right? That's all he's doing. He's not saying you shouldn't get baptized, excuse me, shouldn't be baptized, but that baptism comes from submission to the gospel. So what, what he, that's why he's saying, right, you're baptized not into Paul's name, you're not baptized in a, into an apostle's uh, reputation, you are baptized into Jesus' name. He is the authority, right? That's why we're kind of saying this whole, this whole paragraph is about thriving in submission to Christ because Paul is making sure that even like all these little religious things that they can do to kind of like one-up each other, they are all in submission to Christ himself, right? Baptized in Jesus' name and not Paul's. Right? So that's what Paul goes on here, I think, and this is, we're going to start picking up on this next week, but he starts alluding to it here. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What is that last, those last two phrases? Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Right? What was going on at the, in the Greek culture, Roman culture at the time, was this category of people called sophists, right? They were all about the form 
They were all about the uh, entertainment value, the style of rhetoric. They were all about all of the, uh, the, the proclamation as like an event, right? They were all about all of that stuff. Sophistry was using language to win debates and show oneself clever and eloquent and powerful. A lot, it was, it was basically about how you could like do all the hot air that you say in the best possible way to impress other people. Does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> right, as we're saying like the best way to argue, like the, the best one-liners, the best posturing. I mean, that sounds like American culture if I've ever heard anything, right? <laughs> like you don't have to go very far on Twitter or BuzzFeed or any of those things to see the dynamic that Paul, that Paul is talking about, right? The, the eloquent wisdom, the way of doing it. But what does that mean when he says, I don't do it with words of eloquent wisdom. I don't preach the gospel with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's a weird, that's a weird dynamic, right? Like, how do, you, how do you talk about the gospel in a way that you actually, like, empty the, the gospel of its power? Well, I think what Paul is getting at here is basically there is a way of presenting the gospel that undermines the very nature of what's at the heart of, going, of God's love for us in the gospel, right? The gospel will always be countercultural because the gospel says you and I are sinners and we need God's grace and mercy through Jesus alone to be saved, renewed, and restored in God, right? The gospel is not merely pleasant-sounding words or ideas or a better way. It is the salvation of God for sinners through Jesus Christ, right? I don't know if you guys are following Netflix at all, but um, Mary Kondo, you know, the Japanese woman with the, the spiritual art of tidying up, right? Is that what it is? Whatever it is. Yeah, it's great stuff, by the way. But Jesus is not the Mary Kondo of the soul. He doesn't just kind of tidy things up, right? And we can talk about the gospel. We can talk about church in a way where it's like, you want to get your parenting all straight? come to church. You want to get your marriage all fixed? Come to church. You want to get your life on track? Come to church. If you want to get your finances on track, come to church, right? If you want to, that's fine. All those things are fine, right? None of those things are bad things, right? We all want to have happy, thriving, prosperous lives. But that's not the very purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to say, Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life in your place so that he could die for all of your sins, be baptized in the wrath of God that you deserve so that you could be baptized in the goodness and love of God through him. That is the purpose of the gospel. And we could talk about the gospel in a way where it kind of becomes about these life help things when the, really, the reality of who Jesus is and why he came is because we are sinners in desperate need of the mercy of God. And he's not like, like skimping out on giving us his grace or mercy, Right? God's not cheap on giving grace or mercy. He is ridiculous in how he gives mercy and goodness to us in Jesus, right? He is he's so ridiculous that he gave us a very large book to describe the type of God that he is and how consistent he is in giving us grace and mercy. He's, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible. It's very large, right? They have to print it on small pages so that we can fit it all in. This describes how lavish his love is for us in Jesus. But it was all centered on the cross of Christ, where the Son of God took the wrath of God in our place so that we could be saved and renewed and restored in God through Jesus. And we could talk about it in a way that undermines the power of the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. He's not going to play that game. I'm concerned for us 
as the as the culture shifts in America, evangelicals have seemed to kind of get a little bit frustrated by being pushed from the center of power structures within American culture to the periphery. That we have to be okay with that. The culture will always be counter Jesus. We will have to always be at the periphery of the culture because what we're talking about is a message that will always be counterculture. We're going to look here in chapters 2 and 3 how both the Jews and the Gentiles were offended by the gospel. That will always happen, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, whether it's whatever political party, whatever social demographic, whatever it is, the gospel will always offend. And we have to watch ourselves that we get so like bent out of shape that we aren't in control, right? The gospel... There's this great quote from James Denny. It's actually in a book I'm preaching, but it's just the nature of the gospel for us. No man can, can give the impression that he himself is clever and that Christ is mighty to save, right? No church can present itself like we've got it all together and Christ is mighty to save. No Christian can present ourselves like we've got all the answers or that we've got it one up or that we've got the power in our hands and that Jesus can save, right? It must always be, we must always be submitted as a servant to the glory and power of Jesus, that he alone is sufficient, that he alone is the Son of God, that he alone is the one that will be our salvation and our hope, right? Our culture, that, that me monster loving this, the, the hot air and words, um, kind of the entertainment stuff of our culture will always drive us to be fighting to one-up each other. Always be fighting to figure out how we can kind of outdo one another. Our gospel community will only, th- only thrive in submission to Christ. The cross's power is that Jesus was baptized in your sin so that you could be baptized in his good, clean, soul-saving love. So here's how we're going to end. I'm just going to read a final paragraph on this to help us kind of meditate on what does this mean for us as a church. Because just imagine with me, imagine what a church would be like. And guys, I am so grateful that we are, we, we track in this direction. I just want to keep us on point with this, right? That we are a community submitted to Jesus alone. That I don't actually see a lot of the stuff that Paul's talking about in this chapter, in our, or in this paragraph in our church. But we have to always be aware of it because we, it's, it's in our blood to try to be me monsters, right? It's in our blood to do that whether it's in your marriage or in your small group, in your Bible study, in your church. What happens with the gospel community submitted to Christ? People who are unified in one message of grace for sinners. People who don't fight like Facebook comments. People who press into each other with love for real needs. People who don't tear each other down but join God's grace mission. Right, That's what we talked about last week. Join God's grace mission in each other's lives people who don't love their idol or their preferences of what a person should be like, but they love the person for where they actually are. People, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, who don't insist on their own way, but delight in Christ's truth. A community that's safe for sinners. That's what this does when we are submitted to Christ. A community that is safe for sinners because we have a a sinner-loving Savior. That's the ground for thriving. For submitting and the reason for submitting to Christ. Our gospel community as a church. We don't want the me monsters taking over. We don't want the factions to fight or to bring out. 
and we don't want to become an entertainment-loving community. We want to be a community that submits to Christ. And when we are that, he thrives, he causes us to thrive. Like, our church is thriving because, as a, by, by God's kindness and in his grace, we are submitting to Christ. Our gospel-centered community only thrives in submission to Christ. So let's pray. Father, as we have looked at your word, I pray that you would help us to put to death these me monsters in our own hearts, that we would thrive in who you are uh, because you're good, because you love to bring together um, broken and needy people uh, to make much of Jesus. So I pray that we would thrive as a community because Jesus died for sinners, that we would thrive in his life. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.